Willkommen, this is Julia. And this is Shane. And this is Think Plant-Based. Think Plant-Based. Make sure to check out recipes, health tips, travel tips at www.thinkplantbased.com. And we're officially on iTunes, so please rate and write us a review on iTunes. Write us a review. Give us... Two stars, three stars, maybe five stars. Let us know. Oh, for sure, Let's, five. Yeah, I mean, who would give us two stars anyways, yeah. right? But yeah, make sure to do that because that's how we get found. So we're back again. We are. Video style. And we have a super special guest today. Brenda Davis. So exciting. Hi, Brenda. Good morning. Hi, hi Julia. Hi, Shane. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure. Thanks for being on our show, you know? It's like a dream come true to have you on our show. Yeah. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell the listeners more about yourself. You know, you have so much to offer to this world. And oh, oh, thank you. Well, um, I'll tell you a little bit about my, maybe a little bit about my professional life and a little bit about my personal life. Uh, my professional life, I've been a dietitian for about 37 years, and I've been a vegan for about 31 years. And, and so you can imagine when I became a, a dietitian, I, I, you know, I was trained in the traditional way. And also, I had never, I had only met one real live vegetarian in my whole life. And I had never heard of a vegetarian or vegan dietitian. And, and it seemed to me that the two didn't uh, go together very well because all of our, all of our resources for educating people were based on, you know, four food groups, two of which were animal based. <laughs> and, so, and so it was really scary when I first made the decision because of animal rights and because of the environmental concerns and all of that to go vegan. Uh, I didn't know if I could continue in my profession. And and I can remember thinking to myself, what else will I do? I love, I love nutrition. I love dietetics. Uh, and, and I just decided that I needed to have the courage to stay and try to change things from within um, my own profession. And, and so it was, it was a really a big challenge. But when I moved from northern Ontario, I was actually a public health nutritionist in northern Ontario. And I moved from Northern Ontario to um, Vancouver, and and that's where I met other real live vegetarians, like Masato. Like, and and um, it was in fairly short order after moving to uh, Vancouver that Basanto, myself, and one other colleague, Victoria Harrison, decided to write a book on vegetarian diet. And uh, we were just amazed that within a very, very short time, we had two authors uh, to publish the book. And they were kind of fighting over who was going to get us. It was so, we had a one-page little, you know, little, little proposal. That was it. And, uh, and within, I think, eight months, it became a bestseller, a national bestseller. And then it got picked up by other, you know, publisher in the States and so since then, I've written um, uh, 12 books, and I'm on my 12th right now. It's due June 30th, and we've sold close to a million copies, I think 14 or 15 languages now. Uh, so things have really got on a roll eventually, and and Basanto and I became kind of leaders in this whole plant-based uh, nutrition world and went on to do a lot of really neat things. One of the things that I ended up doing was a research study in the Marshall Islands. And they have the highest rates of diabetes on the planet. And that was just fascinating. I was there for about eight months. And a couple of years ago, I went with John Kelly, who's the founding president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And we went and did a lifestyle intervention, a demonstration project in Lithuania for the government and for the medical school. And so I've been having some really, really interesting experiences. And and I in 2007, I was inducted into the Vegetarian Hall of Fame. But the, probably the biggest honor is I'm, I, I received an email um, not so long ago that I'm going to be the, um, the recipient of the Luminary Award for the International Congress of Plant-Based Nutrition. 
in September. Oh. And 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 the other winners have been Colin Campbell, Dean Ornish, uh, Caldwell Esselstyn, Michael Clapper, um, Neil Barnard, and Hans Steele. And so I'll be the first female, the first non-doctor, uh, and the first Canadian to win this award. So I think I'm the sixth recipient, and I couldn't believe it when I got the email. I thought really such a huge honor, and there there are usually about 1,500 uh, you know people at these events, and so I'm not sure what's going to happen now with COVID. So let's see. No. <laughs> um, um, and then in my personal life, while well, I I've uh, been married for 42 years, I have two grown children and two grandchildren. And uh, we moved to Calgary recently um, to be close to my mom, who's 82. And with COVID, I've been very grateful that I'm close to her. I spend a couple of hours every day with her. And uh, and to be close to the, our daughter and grandchildren. Our son is actually on Vancouver Island doing a double master's right now. He's back to school. <laughs> so anyway, he's busy. Right, everyone's keeping super busy here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. I mean, we've been friends for so long, you know, you've been such an exciting person, you know, you, you live life, you know, to the fullest, but you also give so much, you know, like, there's so, I mean, so many people admire, you know, you know, but I'm not surprised, like, you just do Oh, so much. oh thank you. So inspiring. You always were, like, to me since we met, you know. Oh, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Very much. I so appreciate that, Julia. <laughs> so, what, what does a typical day look like for you? Yes. Wake up. I like, I like it. It, it. The question will be different whether it's pre or post COVID. <laughs> uh, let's go. Let's keep it on the COVID. So, so, what do you do yeah, yeah. You're in quarantine, kind of COVID, to stay so, healthy? So, so, with COVID, my typical day is uh, I start the day with exercise. So I do either a bike ride or a run or some, if it's horrible weather, I'll do a video uh, exercise aerobics and, uh, and and sometimes a little abs or whatever, but I try to get an hour or two of exercise in, somehow walk and the exercise. And then the rest of the time is, is uh, divided between uh, writing this book. It's called, the book I'm currently working on is called Nourish. And I'm writing it with a pediatrician from San Francisco. Her name is Reshma Shah. And it's going to be a sort of authoritative guidebook for families on nutrition and diets and in general. And I'm super excited about it. This is, uh, uh, Reshma is just an amazing co-author. I, I just love working with her. As I've loved working with Basanto on many books. Uh, but I think it'll be really a really exciting book. So a lot of the time with writing. And then the other two projects that I've been working on are I'm doing a continuing education program for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine on diabetes, along with some other experts, but it's been a huge project. I've been doing three modules myself. And then the other one is I'm doing a research study with PCRM, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. It's not a research study. It's more like a, a review of ketogenic diet. So I've been a part of that. And so just a few different projects. But the main one right now is the right well, Obviously, wow. the COVID-19 is not stopping you. Yeah. You're no, no, it's not stopping you. And I have to tell you the pre-COVID story because... Pre-COVID, I was just on that holistic holiday at sea, but right before that in December, I had one of the most outrageous experiences ever. I, I went to, um, with about 10 others, mostly physicians from, from North America, we went to Saudi Arabia for their lifestyle medicine conference. Uh, and, and, and in Saudi Arabia, uh, we were... I've never received treatment like what we received there. It was insane. So anyway, we, the first day we got there, um, we had a beautiful tour of the city and all of that. But the second day, they took us, we weren't even sure what we were doing. They took us to the airport and boarded us on a private 747 jet, which was like the ones you see on TV with the big couches and the big... You know, all the big lazy boy chairs, and, and you've got a 
service, just constant food coming out, just everything you can imagine, every kind of fresh squeezed juice you would ever dream of, you name it, they had it. They flew us to the south of the country to see uh, historical ruins that had never been open to the public before. Whoa. It was, it was incredible. So, so sometimes my life is, is pretty exciting. Yeah. Not no. just sometimes. <laughs> yeah, most of the time. It was quite an experience. Amazing. And how do you... And one of the organizers, have you heard of Khaled? Um, the, uh, Prince Khaled? He's, uh, yeah, he's a very strong vegan uh, animal rights activist was one of the main organizers of the conference wow how do you slow down after having such a like um busy day in the evening how do you how's this looking for you like well right now every single evening this is very unusual for me to take this much downtime but my husband, I bike with my mom's house, which is about five minutes away, and we spend about two hours there. We play games, we watch shows, we go for walks. We, because she's 82 now, and she's she's alone. My father died several years ago, and I just did not want her to be isolated during the whole COVID thing. So we continue to do the exact same things. We order all her food for her, we clean it before bringing and we visit her every single day. So that's a great enjoyment for all of us, I think. It's amazing. You know, I love how you put the priority in because, you know, everyone is so busy, but it's mm. about priorities too, right? That we make time it's for things really, that really matter. Big, that's, right. that's right. It's a really big, family's got to be a big priority. And, and I just, uh, my mom has done so much for me all my life. I, I it was time to give something back to her. So, awesome. yeah. So there's so much uh, controversy. We're gonna get on some health tips because we have a registered dietitian here that's seen it all. Um, you probably get this a lot of time, but people hating on soy, saying you're gonna grow these man boobs, boobs, boob shirt, man things, man boobs. Uh, so what's your opinion if? People are worried or hear all these things. I mean, we probably know what it uh, to is, be, but to be coming from uh, a registered dietitian, what would you have yeah, to say? Yeah, to be honest with you, I find it just so frustrating. I really do. Because, you know, what people need to think about is, is soy foods make plant-based eating easier. They make it healthier. They make it tastier. Um, you can do so much with soy foods because they're high. Soybeans are fairly high in fat, so you can make milk or yogurt, and you can make all just all kinds of, of things out of soy and tofu and tempeh and all of these good things. And the protein in soy is is about the same, and even the digestibility. If we're looking at tofu, about the same as what you would get from meat or dairy or any of the animal products. And so it's a super high quality protein. It's high in calcium. It's high in iron. It's it's high in fiber. It's high in potassium. It's it's a really high nutritious. And 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 then the other thing is that what we know is we know it reduces risk of prostate cancer. It reduces risk of breast cancer. It reduces risk of heart disease. It it even um, uh, helps to alleviate some of the symptoms of menopause. It improves renal function. Uh, it, it, it helps with the symptoms of depression. It, it provides, a, um, you know, it provides a, a, a gentler protein for the kidneys. Uh, so it's everything's good. And if you and if you um, if you look around the world at the healthiest people on the planet, to me this is really the acid test. You look at the healthiest people, the people of the blue zones, the longest lived people on the planet. Two out of the five blue zones eat soy as a steak. Uh, if if it was poison, they probably wouldn't be the longest lived, healthiest people on the planet. You know, it's to me that that's the real acid test. And you look at the the two blue zones that do use soy regularly, Okinawa and, and Loma Linda, and they average about two servings a day. So this is not a minor amount. And uh, and so I think I, 
So I, I think basically when we think about all of that, I mean, some people believe that the phytoestrogens in soy are dangerous. What, what phytoestrogens in soy are actually serums. They're selective, selective estrogen receptor modulators. So they are like very weak estrogens. I mean, some tissues, depending on the type of estrogen receptor in those tissues, they act as weak estrogens. In other tissues, they act more like anti-estrogens. In some tissues, they don't have much of an effect at all. Um, but in breast tissue, for example, in in the, the, one of the reasons they help reduce risk of breast cancer, especially in treatment during childhood and adolescence, is that it acts as an anti-estrogen. It keeps the the, the more uh, aggressive human estrogen off the estrogen receptor site. So it, it actually has a really um, you know positive effect in, in that regard. And so that's what people need to understand. These are very, very weak estrogens. There have been lots of studies on men. It doesn't change your testosterone. It doesn't change your sperm production. It doesn't change any of that unless you're eating. They had two cases of men who had feminization kind of effects from eating soy. Well, one guy was eating 12 to 14 servings a day, and the other guy was eating 20 servings a day. It's pretty much all eating with soy, and of course you're going to get, I mean, those are ridiculous, unrealistic amounts to be eating. What's normal and natural in populations who are soy-consuming populations is two to four servings a day for adults, one to two serving it, servings a day uh, for children. And then the other thing that I would say about soy is one of the other concerns is a lot of soy is genetically modified to withstand pesticides. And so from my personal use, um, I choose organic soy. So I, you know, so I avoid the pesticides and GMOs and all of that. Uh, and so I think that you want to be eating, if you're eating soy, mostly first generation soy food. So less processed things like, like edamame and tofu and soybeans and tempeh and those kinds of things. Soy milk, if it's organic or at least no GMOs, is a reasonable uh, choice. Uh, you want to be eating less of the very highly processed soy. So soy cheese and soy veggie burgers. Not that you shouldn't eat soy veggie burgers because I think they can play a role in the diet and they're so, they're so handy. And when you're having company, we had company um, uh, from uh, Bulgaria. They eat meat and cheese. That's the main part of their diet. And so we bought some veggie burgers. We did a barbecue. I'm not sure if they even knew it wasn't meat. Uh, and that you know, that can be really, really helpful. And so I think for the occasional times, they're, they're a very reasonable um, thing to be eating once in a while. But I don't think they should be kind of your daily fare. Um, and, you know, we don't really know, to be honest, if they would have a negative effect. One thing we do know is veggie meats tend to have a lot less isoflavones because of the way the proteins have been processed before they're used to make veggie meats. It loses a lot of the isoflavones. So people that are concerned about getting the phytoestrogens, there's a lot fewer phytoestrogens in the soy products. Oh, so, that, so that's my summary on soy. <laughs> if someone has cancer and is starting to eat soy, is it safe? Yeah, I heard weird well, if you have cancer or had cancer, it's not safe to consume soy. Yeah, no, that's kind of ridiculous, actually, because the studies that we have, but as a matter of fact, women who um, who take tamoxifen, for example, tamoxifen is a serum. It's a selective estrogen receptor modulator, just like soy. And so they've done studies looking at women who consume soy while they have breast cancer, for, for example. And what they find is it actually reduces risk of recurrence and it reduces risk of dying of the breast cancer if you're eating soy while you have breast cancer. So, and we know that. It's not even, it's not even something that's debated anymore. We have so much research that we know that it, it's not only not harmful, it's actually protective, at least as far as breast cancer is concerned. And it seems so for prostate cancer as well, especially aggressive prostate cancer. So, uh, you know, I would say there's no problem eating a reasonable amount of soy when you have cancer, especially if it's organic and it's not as heavily processed. Right. Yeah, because I remember my mom, she was at the cancer clinic and they were telling her no soy, but maybe it's just because doctors are a little behind the science, I find. Well, well 
I'm saying you're saying what? When was that? Um, this probably would have been five years ago, six years ago. No, it was down here. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. five years, five years ago. So in in 2012, just so you know this, the American um cancer uh society and the American um uh institute for for cancer research actually issued statements saying that it, it not only is it no longer a problem so it, it could actually be protective uh for breast cancer so so this was 2012 so if, if people were still saying that they weren't keeping up with it i'll have to tell my mom to eat some more <laughs> that it's not not what they said yeah so on another health tip how do we get uh adequate zinc and iodine in our diets because a lot of things are, are you know, washed and all the iodine kind of goes away from all of the sanitization and, and just heavy, heavy washing, right? Yeah, so they're, they're really two. You know, if you, if you just rely on food for, for iodine, um, it, you know, if you're a, a, a sort of a plant predominant eater and you include some fish and some eggs, you're going to get some iodine from that. But if you're a plant exclusive eater or a vegan like we are, uh, then your your options are a little less. So so yes, you get iodine from plants grown in iodine rich soil, but the amounts vary a lot depending on the amount in soil. And for a lot of people, you're not going to get quite enough from just your vegetables and fruits and whole grains and such. So there are two other places that you can get it. Well, really three. You can use a supplement or a multivite with some iodine in it. But in terms of food, um, there is a seaweed and iodine salt. And and so those are two main sources. And so what I would say is if you use salt, which most people use some salt, uh, choose iodine. And, and if you're concerned about the additives in iodine salt, like if there's aluminum or whatever, read the label. It's there in black and white. Lots of salt don't have those additives. You can also choose a natural sea salt with added iodine. And that's another option for people. So there are a variety of options. The, the um, you know, Himalayan salts and all of the fancy salts are not good sources of iodine. And so people need to know they are not reliable sources of iodine. So in terms of seaweed, um, seaweed is absolutely loaded with iodine. So uh, you can eat like a sixteenth of a teaspoon of kelp powder and get enough iodine, like 150 micrograms is what you need. You don't want more than 1,100 micrograms, though, because you can get forms, of, you can get symptoms of toxicity, it can actually negative effect, negatively affect your thyroid. And so, if you're eating something like a lot of kelp, you could easily be exceeding the upper limits for iodine. So you need to pay attention to that. Uh, the other thing is is that you've got uh, wakami and arami and all of these different seaweeds. The one seaweed that's lower in iodine and safe to eat in fairly large quantities is nori. And that's the seaweed you use to make sushi or you buy in those little seaweed snack packs uh, that, that you just let it eat. That you don't get. So when you get about 25 micrograms from a little pack or a, a nori sheep or something like that and that's a very reasonable amount you're not going to be even if you eat a few packs it's it's not that much. um salt uh, uh, is a good fairly concentrated source i can't remember exactly how much but i think about if it's in a powder it's probably like less than a teaspoon it's not as concentrated as kelp but it's way more concentrated than nori it's somewhere in between so you do need to be conscious of how much you're getting from dolls. And then the other one is hajiki. And hajiki is a seaweed you probably just should avoid completely. Um, if you have a little bit when you're at a Japanese restaurant, there's a little bit of something that's no big deal. But not something you want to be eating on a daily basis because it's really high in the type of arsenic that's quite toxic. And so many countries actually have, you know, um, a health uh, uh, cautions, uh, advisories against eating hajiki for that for that reason so that's not one you want to be getting your iodine so. right. just to clarify is this daily you should be taking like a 16th of kelp or should yeah this be yeah exactly so a, yes yes exactly Shane. so a uh a, 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 um a sprinkle 
of, of kelp powder on your salad or in your soup. You don't even taste it. It's such a small amount. That's a very reasonable way. And, and one of the things that I do want to say is iodine is super important, especially for pregnant and lactating women and for children. Um, the number one cause of preventable mental retardation on the planet is iodine. So it's, so it's not something you want to fool around with. It, the, the, the consequences of iodine deficiency, the severe consequences, uh, are irreversible brain damage to your child. Uh, so you need to make sure you have a reliable source of iodine in your diet. It's very uncommon in North America to see severe iodine deficiency, but it is very common to see fairly mild iodine deficiency that affects your thyroid function. And so you do want to make sure you're choosing either the iodine salt or a little bit of seaweed or a combination of both or even a multivite that includes. So, and you need to know if you're thinking of becoming pregnant or are pregnant, um, a lot of prenatal vitamins do contain iodine, but a lot don't. So you you've got a prenatal supplement that it does include iodine. Right. Are you able to maybe take like more one day or does it better to take a little bit every day? Um, um, I, I would say it's probably ideal to take a little bit every day, but it's, you know, it's not like B12 where you take it kind of twice a week and you're all good. Yeah, yeah I, I would be a little more, yeah, because, uh, you know, not that you couldn't probably do that. I, have, I haven't seen a lot of studies looking at differences in when you take it, uh, but, but I think on the safe side, you want to be part of your day. Okay, so it doesn't really get stored in your body that much. You'll, you'll, you'll get some stored. You'll get some stored, yes, because it's a mineral. But uh, but I I'm not quite sure how well we store it. Uh, so I'm a little cautious. And also, you don't want to be overdoing your amount because that can be harmful. Which geographic country you live in that you need. Absolutely. And it's if you're more on coastal living, right? Or like if you see more in the tropics, right? It might depend on that. As yeah, well. yeah. Well, there are actually some areas if you go onto the internet and look at the maps of iodine amounts in different countries, there are certain parts of Europe that are very low. The soil is very low in iodine, and other parts of Europe that it's pretty good. And, and in North America, we're kind of in between, but again, there are some parts that are better than others. And so, and it's not always as predictable as what you might imagine. So it's a, it's a good idea to know, uh, but I mean, we eat food from all over the planet. So, so. Really goes to show how close we are with the ocean that we need, you know, that mineral that really is from a lot of the ocean stuff, right? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Brenda, we're really into bread making these days. Well, especially Shane, I would say, right? So. Yeah, I, be I became a sourdough baker the last year. <laughs> so I just wanted to know what's your that's, take. That's so interesting. You started the trend. <laughs> before it was trendy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> call, like, his uh, starters have even names, you know, like Poofy Starter. And was what was the other one? Uh, uh, Starter. Uh, that's the only one I have. Okay. <laughs> I only have one name. Speaking <laughs> about that, what's your take on you know multi-grain sourdough bread for health and maybe you know uh, bread in general? I mean, obviously, to try to get the most you know simplest ingredients, I think would probably be better. Uh, but what's your take? Is it healthy or not to to have breads? I know that it's cooked at high temperature and. You know, maybe there's some darkening and some acrylamide because when I heard when carbs are cooked. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so just so you know, acrylamide uh, requires um, a, a, an amino acid called asparagine to form. And, and so that amino acid is more concentrated in potato products, whether it's regular potatoes or sweet potatoes. So at the top of the list are, you know, the, the fried you know, these fried potato products and uh, French fries and potato chips. Uh, so those are really high in acrylamide. The bread products are much lower because they're much lower in asparagus. So it's less of a concern with bread. 
I mean, you can still get advanced flotation end products and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons and all of those things. But in terms of, of acrylamide, it's, it's not as big of an issue with bread. Uh, so I would say I would say a couple of things. I think that, that uh, sourdough bread definitely has some advantages over regular bread because of the, the bacteria and the acids, which can, you know, maybe slow absorption. But, you know, the, the research isn't super clear. It's been on both sides of it. It may lower the GI a little bit, but it does tend to make it more digestible. And, and I think it reduces the phytates and... And so it really can have some some nice advantages. And if you're making a simple with whole grains and so forth, then then I think it's a really nice choice for bread. Now, when we talk about breads, um, you know, the amount of bread a person should eat really depends on their state of health and their energy requirements because it's fairly concentrated carbohydrate source. And so for, for young people who are active, it can, it can be an excellent addition to the diet. And, and generally with bread, the heavier the better. Because you look at a light fluffy bread, so you look at you know, light fluffy brown bread versus light fluffy white bread, they both have a GI of over 70. So they're, they're very high glycemic index, higher than sugar, actually, to get broken. So it's just because sugar is half, you know, table sugar is half glucose, half glucose, and Fructose has a very low GI, whereas bread would be more glucose, which has a higher GI, and so it gets broken down, and it, it has quite a large impact on your on your blood sugar. But uh, if you can stand on the bread, like you know the German uh, pumpernickel bread, really heavy stuff, it might have a glycemic index of forty five or forty eight or something like that, so much much lower. And it's got, you can see sometimes the whole kernels of, of pie or whatever in it. So that type of bread is really ideal for people who really want to have their bread, but have some issues with blood sugar or, or want, you know, slower digesting carbohydrates. Um, now, what, what I would say is people who are fighting against chronic disease, they're diabetic, they're overweight, all of those kinds of challenges. You want, to, you want to really go lightly on processed grains. So, so, and I'm not talking about refined grains. I'm talking about just whole grains. So, so whole grains. If you think of the grain as it's picked off the plant, you've got um, barley or chemise berries or wheat berries or quinoa or whatever it is. Nothing harmful has been added. Nothing healthful has been taken away. And, and it takes your body a long time to break down those intact grains, even if they're clustered or sprouted or however they're done. It takes you a while to, to, to be able to, you know, use the sugars from those foods. Now, if you cut those grains and you turn it into steel cut oats, you expose the grain to a little more air, you help your body break it down a little, so it's a little... GI, it's a little lower nutritional value because it's been exposed. And then if you take that grain and you roll it, you're exposing more of the surface area of the grain. And then from there you shred it, you're exposing even more. Then you grind it, well that surface area is greater still. And then you plate it and you puff it. And, and the puffing process makes it very readily absorbed, and so the, the glycemic index can be 80 or 100. It can be very, very high. And so even within the whole grain world, there is a hierarchy of whole grains that, that begins with the intact grain working our way down. And so for people with diabetes or people who are overweight, you want your, your grains to be predominantly intact just as they're picked off the plant as opposed to being more heavily processed. And also, when you think about flour, even if it's whole grain flour, nobody eats a bowl of flour. You often adding sugar and salt and fat and all sorts of things before you eat that flour. So the least of, of the worries is bread because you're not adding a lot of fat, you're not adding a lot of sugar. But when you think about other things you might make with flour, the muffins and the cookies and the cakes and so on, those are things we really need to think twice about, especially if we have um, 
uh, diabetes or heart disease or something like that. Now, for people that are very active, like athletes, they can afford to eat quite a bit of that stuff. Um, that you still want to be as healthy as possible. But if you need four or 5,000 calories a day, uh, it's pretty easy to meet your nutritional requirements when you can afford some extra. Okay. It's good to know. So make denser rye. Pumpernickels. To be heavy, right? I better make, make sure some, get some you rye. You weigh your loaves. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and and, and your, I mean, your, your bread, your sourdough is as, I mean, it's wonderful. It's homemade. You're controlling what's added. It's a lower GI than a lot of other breads. It's got, you know, it's it's been broken down with the fermentation, the, the phytates and so on. It's a really good choice. So don't... Uh, feel badly about your bread at all i think it sounds great I so much like we, we wouldn't eat very much and then all of a sudden i started making it and it's like every week we have like a loaf or or sour yeah oh that's a treat it's so good i i i make bread sometimes as well and my husband says don't don't make it very often not too much <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. actually helps, you know, if we want to have a quick snack or something, you know, yeah. we can reach to the freezer and get you, some You pre-cut it and slices. freeze it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah, but, really but good. Some nut butter and whatever. Butter, hemp seeds, go to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I have another question for you, Brenda. Like, um, what are easy ways to switch to a fully plant-based lifestyle when you don't know anyone, like when no one is on board around you, you know, you're the only one, like you and Northern on here, right? Like it feels yeah. so daunting when you're the only one. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, and, and I, I remember those days and I think, I think there are a few things people can do. One, I, one thing that I think is quite helpful is, is just to make an effort to connect. And and so know that in almost any city or town, there is uh, there are people, there are support groups, there are potlucks, there are talks going on uh, to try to engage in the plant-based community and start to make connections with people that are on the same page as you. Um, I think that's really important to your longevity and to keep getting inspiring yourself by reading and listening to things and, and to keep yourself on track. But but we also want to connect with the people that that aren't on the same wavelength as you. And to me, the best way to, to connect is to share food uh, joyfully, without judgment, make it delicious. And most people love to be exposed to really good tasting, healthy food. It's kind of exciting. And, and so whether you're bringing something to work, whether you're um, sharing with your neighbor or your family, uh, when you go to dinner, bring something that they can taste. Uh, to me, that's a really important thing to do. And to, I have to tell you a story because I one of, one of the things that I think is most important is just your example to other people. Your, your compassion, your joyfulness, your generosity, all of the things that being vegan is really about. And and I can remember friends we had way back when we lived in the Vancouver area. Uh, our daughter made friends when she was, you know, four or five years old with a little girl down the street. And we ended up becoming best friends with her family. And, and her father, I remember, you know, the first time we had dinner there. Uh, his wife, I told her we were vegetarian, so she made tofu. She, you know, it was lovely. But he was a steak and potatoes and popcorn. Those were his three main, uh, um, yeah. And when they came to our house for supper, and popcorn with a half a pound of butter, I kid you not. And when they came to our house for supper, he brought his own steak. And you can imagine, as vegans, he brought his own steak to the barbecue. And he didn't know what else he needed, right? And, and so whenever we would go on little holidays or campouts or whatever we were doing together, his, his wife and I, we would go over the menus, what we were going to have. So if there were burgers, they would bring burgers and we would bring veggie burgers. If there was lasagna, she would make their lasagna, we would make our lasagna. If there, you know, whatever. We would all have the same kind of food, but theirs would be a meat-based version, ours would be a plant-based version. And then... Uh, 
he got diagnosed with high cholesterol. And, and he said to me, he said, you know, maybe I'm going to try one of those big emergency ones. And, and, and just because he was getting really worried about his health. And then, and then one of weekend, we ended up going to, um, to Galliano Island together. And, and he said to his wife, let's just, let's just eat whatever they're eating. Instead of having our food. And, and that was it for him. He never went back to eating meat again. And you know, this was probably seven or eight years after we had you know, started being friends with him. It took a long time, but I never judged him. I always just loved him and accepted him. And, and I think it was just our example and, and seeing the food and getting comfortable with the food that allowed him to make that transition. And so I think you really can have an impact, even on people that are very resistant um, by your kindness. Uh, and, and that's, to me, the most important thing of all. Does cholesterol go down? <laughs> oh, you, oh, you bet. <laughs> well, we want to reassure the, uh, the lifestyle change. Well, well it, 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 it just does. I mean, vegan cholesterol is, is you know, um, 3.9, 4.2, something like that, compared to the not the, the non-vegan who would be maybe five or something so or higher. What a great story! I love it. Yeah, Thanks great story. <laughs> yeah. So speaking about going on to a vegan diet, how do we uh, stay on track and not fall off the wagon, as they say, on a vegan diet? Because I know a lot of people start it and then they don't, and then they just go back. Yeah. So it's hard to you know. It's hard. It's hard because we don't. We don't live in a vegan world yet. <laughs> yes. and, and, and I can tell you, yeah, I can tell you 30 years ago, uh, people didn't even know what vegan was. Uh, it was so unusual to be vegan. Today, I, I can remember when I first started seeing the word vegan on products. Oh, I was beyond myself with excitement that, that I would see the word somewhere. And today, it's everywhere. You can't go into a restaurant almost that doesn't have at least one vegan option. It's a whole different world, and it's so much more vegan friendly than it used to be. You think of the the, the um, uh, documentaries and and the groups and the just everything going on on the internet and how aware people are of factory farming and of the environmental consequences of our food choices. It is a very, very different world. And so it's easier now. It's much easier now. But that having been said, it's still not easy. <laughs> and, and so I think people need to keep reminding themselves of why they're doing what they're doing. Um, you, need, you need to re-inoculate yourself every so often uh, by watching a, a, a documentary about uh, what animals actually go through. Uh, you need to watch the documentaries on the environmental consequences of us. You need to um, just look at that stuff and keep yourself immersed in it. Um, be with, make connections with people that are on that same page. And and the other critical thing is, I, I think, is to plan ahead. Um, if you're going to a restaurant, Oh, make sure there's something on the menu, especially when you're going with your non-vegan family and they pick, they pick some steakhouse or something so that they know there'll be something that you can you can order on the menu and, and, and that they've got a little heads up that, that they need to be thinking about that for that, that, that meal. Uh, and, and when you're traveling, to bring a little bit of food with you, when you're going to someone's house uh, for a meal, to offer to bring a main dish to share and let them know uh, that you're, you know, you're vegan, and that you, you, uh, you know, you would love to make something to share. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just think it's really important to to plan ahead. But 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 I think for a lot of people, the falling off the wagon is is more common for people that are just doing this. I shouldn't say just, but they've chosen to do plant based health, 
and their house starts getting better and 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 then they feel like wow it wouldn't hurt to have the piece of fish or the you know a little bit here and there uh, i think the people that are more apt to stay completely vegan are the people that are vegan um that that really have bought into the animal and and uh, the, uh, the uh, ecological issues and because uh, those i mean once you take the blinders off uh, the blinders are off um how i i find it really hard to understand how someone could go back once they know um once you know what you're contributing to you really know uh and and you know, I think for a lot of people who do know now that, that aren't vegan, it doesn't make them um, an incompassionate person. It doesn't make them a, 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 a cruel person. It just, it, it's more about, for people that don't go there, it's more about, um, I think that one of the number one reasons why, um, why people, this won't change their, their dietary habits it's because one of the requirements as a human being is to belong and and that that need to belong to your tribe if your tribe is all about food and wine you're foodie and every connection you have is about food uh to to veer from that means you no longer no, no longer belong and and for a lot of people, we just felt rather be dead than to not belong, and and so it can be a very slow transition, and 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 to you know find another group you can belong to. It's very very hard for people, and so I get that. I really get that. I think there, you know, there are a lot of um, ways to be compassionate in the world, and you know, not eating animals is one way, and some other people are all about preventing you know sex slavery children and you know i mean there are lots so i think it's really important to respect one another and 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 uh be grateful for what we are able to do but to to also to share as much as we can in terms of the, the wonderful food and how um much people can enjoy a meal that doesn't necessarily involve pain suffering and death and and that is a new concept for a lot of people. Um, but we need to understand that we're, you know, we can't. Look at this pandemic. We can't, as a as a human society, continue doing what we're doing. Uh, we just can't. It 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 may take 50 years before we get to the point that we need to get. I mean, and for some people that never want to stop eating meat, thank goodness we're culturing this stuff now. And maybe we'll get to the point where they can purchase it without having to cause the pain, suffering, and death of animals to get there. Um, there are lots of people that are working on different ways of, of stopping, um, you know, the, the torture and death of 70 billion land animals a year. Uh, and, and, you know, I think, I mean, I, I mean, I, I just so agree with with uh, so many of the great philosophers who you know questioned when uh, humans would get that that you know it's really, ethics involves compassion and that animals should not be excluded from that. It's uh, they are thinking, feeling uh, beings that deserve our mercy and our compassion. And and and. Um, yeah, I just, I uh, just hope and pray we get there eventually. Yeah, us too. <laughs> it's crazy to think like more animals died than ever people died in our whole like humanity. You know, that's like crazy to think about. You know. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And you've got uh, seventy billion is is like ten times the entire human population that are slaughtered every single year. It's just mind blowing. And, and of course, the source of our pandemics are, you know, these intensive, confined conditions of, of the animals we're eating. Uh, and and uh, so we need to we need to recognize that. It's got to stop. It's inhumane. And it, I just, I think that we as a species have got to be smart enough to figure out how to feed ourselves without torturing all of these innocent beings. It's, we've got to have the brains to do that. That's why I'm 
all in favor of culturing uh, me. Uh, you know, it, you know, it. I don't wouldn't necessarily eat it myself, but for people that really want it, but at least it's a way of, of growing it. It doesn't involve this kind of these kinds of wars and slaughterhouses and all of that. I think we've got to the time in the evolution of the human species that we that we got to say this has to stop and it needs to stop AS. AP, if we're going to save ourselves as well. Yeah, well said, well said. Yeah, well, any exciting news you got coming up? I know you said you got a book at the end of June coming, but any other exciting news? And, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the nurse will be out in November. It's already up on Amazon for, for pre-order. And then, um, yeah, and then uh, I'm writing another book with Basanto. We're starting in November on protein. And we said, no, it's not going to be a last one. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, yeah, Basanto uh, agreed to do these couple of little books. And, and uh, so I, I thought, well, uh, they're not big books. So I'll offer. <laughs> she loves writing anyways. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Born to write. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and how can the listeners find you? Uh, uh, well, I have a website, brendadavisrd.com. My email is brendadavis at telus.net. And um, yeah, I've got a Facebook page. I'm happy. Every time somebody, I get a friend request, the first thing I do is check to, if I don't know them, that they're, that they're on the plant-based wavelength or they're vegan. <laughs> but to that effect, they're my friend. <laughs> That's that's it. And uh, yeah, so I'm not taking and doing a lot of individual consults right now just because of all my deadlines. But I uh, do do those on occasion and, and Basanto does as well. So. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Thanks so much. For yeah, thanks for your time. You and yeah, your time and everything, who you are, you know, keep on shining the light, you know, throughout the world. That's what you do, you know, not just like in Canada. It's like throughout the world. I love it. Well, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Julia and Shane, and thanks for doing what you do. Uh, I, I love what you're doing, and your website's awesome. So thank you for all the efforts you're, you're, you're doing and for educating everyone. So, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate for your that. kindness. That's yeah. so awesome. Well, we can't wait to meet you in person again. You know, I haven't seen you for so long. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> uh, you take care. Stay safe and healthy. Yeah. Stay safe. You too. All the best thanks, with your book. Thank you so much. And all thanks, your thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so much. I appreciate that. Take care. We'll, we